What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Madeline Gravy on today's episode. I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and her story. Madeline, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like. All right. Um, Well, first off, thank you for having me on today. I know a lot of your podcasts begin that way, Uh, but this podcast really has been a lifeline for me as I've navigated through losing that baby. Um, For me, right from the beginning, I would listen to other stories and I'd go on a jog. And at first I would run and I would just cry (laughs) with all of these uh, episodes that people would be sharing their stories. Um, uh, Now I still listen to them as I jog and I listen and I feel super validated and the feelings I was feeling and am still feeling today. So that's why I'm here today is to share my story to help validate others who are walking through this tough road. Um, So thank you for having me. Um, So I'll just kind of jump in, start a little bit of backstory. My husband and I started dating in high school. So he was a senior in high school. I was a junior. And uh, we basically got married as quick as we could. So we dated through high school, dated through college. He had had just graduated and I had a year left of school. Um, I was on track to graduate a semester early. So got married the summer of 2015. And then um, actually my, a, a friend of mine said, hey, it takes about on average about eight months to get pregnant. And so we looked at each other being newly married and we we're like, well, we want to be pregnant in the next eight months. So we uh, started trying four months into being married and got pregnant on the first month. So four months into being newly married, super young married, uh, I was pregnant and I hadn't even graduated college yet. So I was pregnant for two months while I was still in school um, and they graduated in December. But uh, first pregnancy was super normal. Everything uh, was good. Um, (laughs) I was a nutbag. I think a lot of people, most people are kind of nutbags on their first pregnancies, just nervous, don't know what to expect, um, that type of thing. And that was totally me, but everything was normal. Um, I was super uh, motivated to give birth naturally. So that was kind of the plan with, with our first one. And on July 25th, 2016, uh, Carson was born. Uh, I did give birth to him naturally at nine pounds, five ounces. Um, and so that felt super normal. He was a very healthy baby, no big question marks there. So when he was 16 months, I got pregnant again. And that was, uh, got pregnant on the first time that we tried as well. So up to this point, it felt like, okay, this having baby things seems pretty easy. Um, so super normal pregnancy on the second baby and he was born on August 13th, 2018. So they were 25 months apart. And that one fun fact, my labor was literally an hour and 47 minutes. So super fast, uh, super intense. I did, I gave birth to him naturally too, but I always say, I don't think I could have had an epidural if I wanted to just because it was so fast. So 
basically now um, two healthy babies feeling super confident about having babies. Uh, we want a big fam or yeah, we want a big fa family. And so we um, didn't really think much about, you know, things that could come, I guess. Um, so again, when my second baby was 16 months old, I got pregnant on the first month of trying. Uh, this time around, it kind of felt like we had a, a little bit more confidence in not being nervous. And uh, it felt like pregnancy was fun and things were, there was no nervousness necessarily going to the doctor's office, things like that, that I had felt in my first one, especially, and in my second one a little bit. And now the third time around, I did not feel nervous when I would show up to those appointments and things like that. So um, the third time around, I was super nauseous. And so I thought that it was a girl because I, the first two times I was a little nauseous, but not too bad. But this time I was on the couch, couldn't hardly get up, couldn't even open the refrigerator without feeling like I was going to throw up. Like it was rough for the first 12 weeks. It was rough. So, um, went to the seven week appointment, healthy heartbeat, um, nothing super crazy there. Um, I remember actually being in the ultrasound room and the tech, once she found a heartbeat, she said, and I still remember this, she said that once we find a healthy heartbeat at seven weeks, the likelihood of miscarrying is 1%. And I remember like, I wasn't nervous of miscarrying at that point, but I just remember thinking like, oh, that's a nice fact. I'll hold on to that. So I told actually another friend of mine who uh, was pregnant with me, like, oh yeah, once we have a healthy heartbeat, there's a 1% chance. So um, kind of interesting as the story comes out. But um, so at this point, things felt good. I didn't feel nervous. We had two healthy babies. Uh, we had a healthy heartbeat. I was seven weeks, super nauseous, but everything looked good. Um, and faith is something that's super important to me. So this is kind of the part of the story that things that that really comes into play as I kind of look back as the story has unfolded. Um, there's a lot of points where I go, wow, like I've seen my faith be, be something that has been my rock um, through all of this. So 12 week appointment comes up and actually this appointment, we've never done this before with any of my other boys, but um, my, we brought my mom and we, my mom came and had my kids and, um, we brought them just to hear the heartbeat. So it was kind of fun. Um, cause currently we have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. So the one and a half year old didn't really understand or know kind of what was going on, but the three and a half year old did and, uh, would see my tummy get a little bigger and, you know, he would kiss my tummy. So I thought, oh, it'd be fun to bring that. So brought them to the appointment. They all came into the room, got the Doppler and uh found heartbeat right away and everything looked good and so everyone was really excited my the the midwife was asked my three and a half year old do you want to hold the doppler to listen and he was like no <laughs> but he was super into into it and interested like that's the baby's heartbeat that's in mommy's tummy um, so that was super fun to to have that experience and um i remember going down leaving that appointment and going down the elevator and uh, looking at my mom and being like, man, it's so weird. I don't even get nervous for these appointments anymore. Just feels like I know exactly what to expect and I know everything's going to be okay. And uh, I clearly remember saying that. So um, 12 weeks, I don't know. I mean, 
this is becoming more and more common, but there's a company called Sneak Peek and you can find out the gender at 12 weeks. Um, and so we were super curious because we have two boys. And so uh, I felt super nauseous. And so I thought, okay, well, let's just find out what it is. I thought it was a girl. So I did this blood test and it's kind of cool. You just do it at home. You pick your finger, do a blood test, send it in, and then they just email you. It's, it's not <laughs> the most exciting reveal, I guess, but they email you your results on what the gender is. So <laughs> this is kind of funny, but I took the test the first time and my husband and I, um, we wait, he got the email in the morning. We had it that he was going to get it. He was going to find out and then do something cute to surprise me. So got the email this morning in the morning and um, he had actually went and got me a necklace to tell me to put it in there, he was going to say it's a girl or it's a boy. So he comes home and he had actually waited to read the email until he was on his way home, but he had the necklace with him. So um, got home and was like, I am so sorry, but the email, they didn't, the blood sample was contaminated. And so we couldn't, but we don't know what the gender is. You have to retake it. And it sounds like, even when I say it, it sounds like that's not a huge deal, but we had waited for so long to find out. And then it was this like big build up, like, okay, he's coming home from work. We're going to find out. And then he comes home and it's like, oh, sorry, you know, but he still gave me this necklace. So, um, so we got a new, uh, little package, retook the test, sent it in. So this was like a week later now. We're actually on vacation and I got an email that said, Hey, your results are in. We're going to process it really quick. You'll find out tomorrow. So that was kind of fun for us to just have that excitement and be on vacation together and find out. So anyways, we were sitting outside and he got the email. And so we opened it up together and um, my husband whispered to my three and a half year old son, um, it's a boy. And so then he came and said, okay, mom, it's a boy. And I literally laughed out loud. Like what? <laughs> I completely thought it was a girl. I was completely shocked, which now looking back, I'm like, there was a good chance that it could be a boy. But I think just in my mind, I had thought, I just thought it was a girl because I, my pregnancies were super different. So that was almost something that I had to take a few days to process and and be like, okay, I'm going to be a mom of three boys. Um, so uh, kind of as the days went on, I got more and more excited about having three boys. And I started to notice a lot uh, of kind of the dynamics of other families. And really, I didn't feel like I found a whole lot of families that have three boys. Um, and so I thought that feels super special to me that we get to be a family with three boys and kind of different. It's going to be crazy and insane. And whatever, but um, got super excited about that. So um, 15 weeks and one day, I was feeling kind of nauseous the few days leading up to that, but I didn't really think much of it just because I felt so bad the first trimester. So felt kind of nauseous. I remember the night before laying down on the couch and just being like, telling my husband, I don't feel great at all. Um, but we kind of just chalked it up like, oh, you just feel nauseous. So woke up the next morning and it was super, uh, it had snowed the night before and uh, that this was a Friday afternoon. 
And so we decided that we wanted to take the boys sledding. So took the boys sledding and I mean, we have little kids, so it wasn't like a very intense sledding hill or anything, but I went down the hill and uh, I got up and I was walking back up and it felt like I peed my pants. And again, as a mom of two kids, I kind of just chalked it up to like, oh yeah, sometimes that happens. Like I'm a runner. And so I like to go on runs and sometimes I'm like, oh shoot, like I peed my pants. <laughs> but so it's just, I chalked it up to just be like, well, you know, I think I just peed my pants, no big deal. I got home, um, went to change and there was a little bit of blood. And so my heart sank in that moment. And, um, I was like, uh Oh, I don't, that's not a good sign. So I never bled. I know there's implantation bleeding and things like that, but I had never bled at all really up to this point in all three pregnancies. And so, um, what was kind of interesting was this is, this was a week into the coronavirus quarantine. So we weren't completely locked down, but everybody was like super nervous and careful at this point. So we went and dropped my boys off at my parents' house and we called the doctor and we were like, hey, I think we need to come in and be seen. And she said, normally uh, we have you go to the emergency room, but because of the coronavirus, we're going to go, um, I'll just have you come up into the OB. So I was super thankful for that. Again, I think that that was something that um, my faith came in and God was faithful and I just didn't have to deal with the emergency room and going through all of that. I just got to go right up to the OB floor. So we get up there, um, and she, the midwife walks in and what's been, what was kind of cool looking back was the midwife that I had at my 12 week appointment that met my kids and met my mom and my husband was there and everything. Um, she was the same one who was on call that night. So I walked in she walked in and I was just like, oh my goodness. Because the way my OB works is there's a group of them and then it could just be anybody who's on call when you go deliver a baby. Um, so the chances of her being on call was like one in eight or something and it happened to be her. So that was really cool. She knew she had just seen a healthy appointment. Like we're a young couple and young parents and um, just the excitement of another baby and she knew that it was a boy. She, we had actually told her what we were naming him at that appointment. So she comes in and um, she was like, oh, hi, odd, you know, good to see you here. So um, she did an ultrasound and, and found a super strong, healthy heartbeat right away. And I think that's what was super, super hard for me is that there was a healthy heartbeat and she she looked over and she's like well there's the heartbeat and I was like is it slower than normal as in like the question of like is he dying or like what's happening and she was like no it's a strong healthy heartbeat um and she's a midwife and so she said these types of things I have to legally go get the doctor but what I think I'm seeing is there's not amniotic fluid around the baby so she said let me go get the doctor so um, so she leaves. Now we're just in the room, just my husband and I, and, uh, I kind of looked at him and that was kind of when he lost it of like, accepted the fact of like, man, I don't think that things are going well for us right now. And I didn't like, I didn't cry and I'm a crier, <laughs> but I didn't cry at that point. He started crying and it was just like this weird thing of like, what's happening? 
And so I asked him, I'm like, why are you crying? And he was just like, I don't think that this is a good thing. So um, looking back, I think that I felt like I had a bunch of different hurdles that I still had to get through. Of Okay, so like if this is a miscarriage, then I have to deliver this baby and I have to make sure the placenta is delivered. Like I'd done this twice before. So it just felt like I couldn't even process the fact that like this is not going the way we want it to go. So doctor comes in, check, does another ultrasound, and she's like, yeah, there's, there's no amniotic, amniotic fluid around this baby, um, that it's not viable pregnancy at this point, like the baby can't survive. Um, and so that was a super hard moment for us to be like, man, like our baby is still alive, but because my water broke for some reason, uh, he can't survive. So they, we had this conversation of, okay, so what do we do at this point? Do we wait it out? Do we do a DNC? What do we do? And um, the doctor was like, you know, well, let's just wait a little while and then we'll make those hard decisions. And I was kind of like, what hard decisions? Like, I don't understand. Um, but thankfully my water, I mean, thankfully my body went into labor naturally. And so I started bleeding pretty heavily and um, we, we got to the hospital at 5 p.m. and I actually delivered at 8 p.m. So it was super quick, a lot faster than even the, the nurse or the midwife and the doctor thought it was going to be because they were like, you know, you can hang here, sleep overnight, deliver maybe tomorrow afternoon. So even that, I was super thankful that it happened quickly just because we didn't have to sit there and sleep in the, sleep in the hospital and kind of go through this like waiting game when we knew that what was happening anyway so um so we that was kind of the check-in room type thing that they just checked us there so they moved us into a delivery room basically and I remember um as we were moving into the other room like this lady was wheeled out in a wheelchair holding her baby she'd just come from the operating room and I just remember being like this is, that's exactly how it's supposed to be. Where we are right now is not how it's supposed to be. Um, but here we are and everybody else gets to have babies on this floor and I don't. Um, so we got into the delivery room and uh, they kind of checked me a bunch of times and I got to a point where she was like, okay, well, I feel the baby's head, you wanna push. So I had to push a few times and like, not to say that it wasn't painful, but like it was still labor contractions that I was going through, but it was definitely on a reduced scale just because the baby wasn't full term. Like I had given birth to a baby at 40 weeks, but this was at 15. So, I mean, it was like going through natural labor, but it wasn't these like super painful contractions, I guess, but it was painful. Um, so he came out and, um, and the midwife was like, okay, do you want to see him? And at that point, that was when I lost it. And uh, I think I had gotten through the biggest hurdle of, of delivering him and, you know, this waiting game or whatever. But, um, and so I was like, I don't know if I can see him. And, and um, now I look back and I, and this midwife was such a blessing to us, but um, she looked at me and she was like, you're his mom and you love him. And so um, she put him on my stomach. And at the time I was like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I want to see my baby. And now I look back and I'm forever grateful for 
her and for that, those words that she said, and really like that decision that she made for us in that moment. Um, because yeah, we are his parents and we do love him and we do want to see him. And so I think, um, like seeing him for the short term was super hard just because it made things more real, I think, and, uh, made things so that it was like this physical tangible, like this is our baby. But I think long-term I'm forever grateful for that and the time that we got to spend with him. So, um, we spent, he was born about eight o'clock, uh, or I delivered about at about eight o'clock and, uh, we spent about four hours with him and it was, we just cried over him. We prayed over him. We talked to, with each other. I mean, it was just like super hard four hours, but like very sacred four hours. Um, so they give you a little bit of time after you deliver to kind of basically be with your baby and, you know, just like have a little bit of time, just the two of us. But what was kind of odd, well, not odd, but just I didn't expect it, but this is just kind of the way it works, is after about two hours, they started coming in and saying, okay, we have a bunch of paperwork you have to fill out. And it's a lot of paperwork that's like, okay, um, are you going to bury your baby? Are you going to cremate your baby? What are you going to do? You have to make these decisions if you want testing. You have to make decisions what you want to do with the placenta. Like, crazy crazy decisions that no parent should ever have to be making right after you give birth especially but just in general like I just looked at my husband I'm like this is so backwards like what is happening why in the world are we making these decisions so um that that period of time I think was like so so hard but so so good I would not trade those hours for the world um but I think kind of for me, I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, deliver the baby. And now we're just hanging out with him for a few hours. And then we're making these decisions. Like for me, um, I delivered him and then you have to deliver the placenta. And for anyone who's ever given birth, like delivering the placenta is super painful. They like push on your stomach and you have to get it out. And so that was, that was like something where before with my other two, I had gone through and I mean, at that point, you're holding a baby, so you don't really care. And now this third experience, I was I was holding a baby, but not the baby I wanted to be holding, my baby who wasn't alive. Um, and they're like pushing on my stomach and trying to deliver this placenta. And then I they couldn't get my bleeding under control. So it was like they had to come in and I took a bunch of medicine to help stop the bleeding and like help extra cramp my uterus so that the bleeding would stop and it still wouldn't stop and so they had to give me this medication um a shot in my butt actually and that is not pleasant anyways but um had to do that and that makes it so that you have like very bad diarrhea so now I'm like running to the bathroom every 10 seconds like this whole thing it's not just this four hours of like oh let's sit and be with our with our baby for a while and whatever so there was a lot that was kind of happening um, within those four hours. Um, and one thing, actually, I forgot to share, I'll go back just a little bit. But when we were in the ultrasound room, um, this midwife, uh, Pam, I'll use her name, but Pam said, 
when we figured out that there was no amniotic fluid, she said, I know that you have a name for him and I'm going to start referring to him by name. And um, so we had named him Luke and we had, we had picked that from the very beginning. And um, so she started calling him Luke and that felt very real, just knowing um, and hearing like, that is my baby. And that puts kind of a name to a face, I guess to say. Um, so yeah, like sitting there holding Luke in this room uh, while we're trying to get the blood under control and we're trying to deliver the placenta and make sure it's all out and all of these things that I'm like, what is happening? Like I'm 15 weeks, I'm supposed to be at home sleeping. Like I'm not supposed to be at the hospital delivering my baby who's not alive anymore. So um, that was just, those four hours were super, super hard. Um, so towards the end of that, they came in and they said, okay, we just have to make sure that the placenta is all out. And so we need to do an ultrasound. And so this was a weird, I remember this super vividly, but this was kind of a weird flip where before always on an ultrasound, like I want there to be a baby, you know, I want to see a heartbeat. I want to see the placenta, the gestational sac. Like I want to see all of that. And now when they came in to do this ultrasound, every part of me was just like, like so weird that you go, it's empty. Like I want it to be empty because I don't want there to be issues. I don't want there to be pieces of the placenta still there. Um, so they came in and did this ultrasound of like an empty uterus. And I just remember my heart beat, my heart just like dropping of like, oh, man, what a weird place to be that what, two hours ago, I had a baby with a heartbeat in it. And now I'm like hoping that my placenta or that my uterus is empty. Um, so we, made the decision not to do any testing. Um, that was kind of a hard decision for us, but we just decided not to do it just because um, we both kind of were like, you know, answers at this point doesn't change what happened. And um, answers I think would just make us more nervous for next pregnancy. So uh, didn't do any testing on Luke, didn't do any testing on the placenta, nothing. Um, but we did decide to cremate him. So we had to like make a decision on which mortuary we wanted him to be sent to. Like just terrible decisions that nobody would ever think about before, you know, when you get pregnant, like, oh, I might be thinking about which mortuary I'm sending my 15 week old baby to. So made those decisions. Um, and we were actually given the choice if we wanted to stay at the hospital overnight or if we wanted to go home. And by this time it was like, 12:45, and we were like we just want to go home so uh we're, we were discharged from the hospital and I vividly remember leaving the hospital um we've had two babies before so we walked from you know it's like kind of a fun walk actually when you leave the hospital you have your baby in the car seat um and your you know your husband goes and pulls the car up and you put the baby in like that's kind of a fun thing to go okay We've kind of been in this little bubble for a few days. Now we're going out into the real world. Um, and this time around, we left the hospital. It was one in the morning, so it was super quiet. The lights were all off. Not a single person was around. And I just remember looking at my husband and being like, man, this is the saddest walk to the car ever. <laughs> and just being like, what just happened? Like we walked in to this hospital with our baby and now we walk out without our baby. Um, and that feels super empty. So 
got got to the car, got in the car, and I remember looking back and I and I saw our two car seats back there. And that for some reason was oddly comforting to me just to go, okay, like this is a long road we have ahead of us. We don't have our baby anymore, but we still have our two older babies. So um, I don't know, like in a weird, odd way, those car seats meant a lot to me. And I still like, to this day, I look back and I go, wow, I have two car seats and I'm super thankful for that. So, um, so then that's kind of the whole story of miscarriage, but I think there's another piece of it afterwards that what was super good for me just to hear other people's stories, but, um, just this long, hard, hard road of walking of like, what does this look like now exactly on this podcast, like life after miscarriage. So, um, we went to sleep that night and woke up the next morning. And I remember immediately just like when you're sleeping, you're kind of out of reality. I remember waking up that next morning and just being like, oh yeah, like this is my reality. It's not just some bad dream that I can wake up from like, this is I'm dreaming and then I wake up to my reality that I wish was a dream. Um, so my boys had actually stayed at my parents' house that night. So we, we woke up, um, had kind of a morning to ourselves and the plan was kind of just to take as much time as we wanted just to be the two of us. Uh, but we got to a point that we were just like, you know, we just want to go see our babies. So um, we went over there, saw, hung out with them for a little while. And I remember just like those super early days, I basically didn't go more than like 30 minutes without crying. And um, I think a lot of it was just reminders. Like it was so fresh of being on my mind of being pregnant and now not being pregnant. So it would be things like, I wake up in the morning, I go into my closet to pick out what I'm going to wear. And normally it would be like, oh, I'm not in maternity. I wasn't in maternity pants quite yet, but I would pick like, okay, what's the loosest leggings that I can find? Because tight leggings give me a stomach ache because it's too tight on my stomach. And just like little reminders like that, like I would wake up and go into my closet in the mornings and go, oh yeah, like I can wear my tight pants again. Or, oh, I can wear a tight shirt because I was in that in-between stage of, uh, I look like I'd been gaining weight, but I didn't look like I had a cute little baby bump yet. So, you know, you wear looser fitting clothes until you really have a baby bump, then you kind of move into the maternity clothes. So I wasn't there quite yet. So it was all of these decisions of like figuring out what I was going to wear in the morning, even of just reminders coming downstairs, opening the refrigerator. And it was like this distinct, terrible smell but I remember the next day I came downstairs, opened the refrigerator and I like didn't have that anymore. And that was hard. So it was just like thing after thing, reminder after reminder at the beginning for a, a lot of days where I would just go, I, like, I don't even know how to function normally because what was and the way I was feeling and the emotions that I had and the feelings that I had, um, like while I was pregnant are not here anymore. And that was super hard, just like constant reminders that I didn't necessarily choose to have, but that's just kind of what it was. Um, and so the first 48 to 72 hours, we were pretty public about our loss. Um, I think just being pregnant, like there, we told a lot of people that I was pregnant at that point. Like we didn't post anything on social media at that, at, by this point, but 
um, a lot of people knew. So we were pretty public about now losing Luke. Um, so we texted our small group. We texted uh, our families. Like a lot of people knew. Um, and we just wanted to kind of get it out there. So we had a ton, a ton of support for the first 48 to 72 hours, I would say. And then I think naturally people just kind of drop off like, um, you know, they'll send one or two nice text messages or call or something. And then it's just kind of like everybody went, goes on uh, their way. And I was the same way, I think, before I understood like what loss and grief is like. Uh, but it's been kind of cool to see that we've had a really, uh, I've had a small group of people kind of keep up with me and um, support me in that and consistently walk with me through this road that's been super hard. Um, one in particular is my sister-in-law. Um, my brother and sister-in-law actually drove out. They live in Seattle and they drove out when they found out that we lost our baby and um, to just to be with us. And this was again during the quarantine. So they're on the stay at home order or whatever. Um, but they were like, you know what, this is more important. So drove out to be with us, hang out with us for a week. And uh, my sister-in-law was incredible. She uh, she would just sit with me and not necessarily like tell me anything, but just ask questions. And um, every morning, really every hour for the first, at the very beginning, just checked in with me and, um, you know, asked, how are you doing? How are you feeling now? 10 minutes later, how are you feeling now? And I didn't know it at the time, but that she's been incredible. And um, she was my rock in the first beginning, along with my husband, um, just to process and be able to say that it's okay to be feeling good. And then 10 minutes later, be in the corner crying again. Um, so that was super, that was such a blessing for us just to have my brother and sister-in-law come out here and uh, be with us. And they brought their dog and our boys loved it. Like that was the highlight of my kids year <laughs> was just they could just spend this week with their dog um so so kind of as time went on five days later we got a call from the mortuary that we had to go pick up our baby who had been cremated and um that felt like a super difficult hurdle to get over just as we're driving there i'm like man this is so backwards again um but it was very weird feeling like we got him brought and driving back in the car home, I remember thinking like, man, our family feels complete again, which in a backwards way, I'm like, what? I never thought I would think that. But um, just like having him with us back again felt good, which I didn't think that I would feel that way. Um, and then a few days later, I just had a few questions for my midwife. So I called Pam and um, just was talking to her and she pulled up my file and she said, hey, there's um, the, the hospitals send the placenta to be tested, all of them, even if you choose not to, that we send that. And we actually knew that. They told us that when we were thinking. But they, she said that there's information in here if you want to know it. And I was like, yeah, like I think, yeah, I want to know that. So she said basically they tested the placenta and they found out that it was just a, there was a lot of yeast in the placenta. So she said, basically, the conclusion is that it was a yeast infection that just got super out of control, caused your water to break, and that's why you gave birth. And so, um, 
I think that was really good for me to hear at first. I was like, wow, like we have answers and that's all it was. And Luke was healthy and um, like that's super fixable. And then as the time went on, I think that threw me into a tailspin of like, but it was avoidable. And so um, I think, again, this is where my faith comes in to say that was something that was super that was avoidable had we known something like that was going on. Um, and we actually had treated it. I, I found out at the 12 week appointment that I had a yeast infection. And so, um, we just treated it and, and it had been too late, I guess at that point, but, um, some, that's just something that I hold on to, to say this, like God's not surprised by, me miscarrying or by losing Luke, like he knew exactly what was happening um, and exactly that plan. But I think it just threw me into a little bit of a tailspin to go, shoot, like that was super avoidable had it, had we known that information before. So um, that was kind of something that was really hard to wrestle with for a few weeks of just saying like, okay, why God, like, why did he allow that to happen? But also he's not surprised by it. So although it was avoidable, that was his plan in having that happen. So, um, as the days and the weeks went on, I would actually go up into the room that was supposed to be the babies. And, um, I would just have some quiet time and I would read my Bible and I would journal and I would cry and I would listen to worship music. And, um, it was the season of like, asking why and frustration and deep sadness. Um, and really like the reason that I was doing that is I was trying to find hope and find purpose in, um, in this situation and in losing Luke. And, um, so I would go up there and like, sometimes I would just sit up there and cry for 45 minutes. Um, like whatever I felt like that day, I guess needed to happen. Um, but that time looking back, and still I continue to do it today, but that time was super sacred to me just to spend time in the presence of Jesus and spend time in order to, um, I, like I said, find healing and purpose and hope in what felt like a hopeless situation. So that's kind of the place that I felt. I felt like I found glimpses of purpose and glimpses of hope. Um, yeah, so looking back, kind of what got us through this and still is continuing to get us through this is our faith and our community and our hope that uh, someday we will see our baby again and um, that there is a reason. And although we don't know necessarily the reason yet, but um, there is a reason that we are, have gone through this and have walked this road. Absolutely. This is like super fresh then if this is like the start of the coronavirus. <laughs> what what date did you give birth? Like what date was it? It was March 20th. So it was oh right right at the beginning. Yeah. So this Girl. whole thing <laughs> we've kind of just navigated through the coronavirus, which actually I will say a lot of people are like, I can't believe you're dealing with a miscarriage and also dealing with the coronavirus. And my answer to time. Them, it's yes. Like it has been yeah. so good for us to have so much family time and like, I, we don't have to face reality quite yet. So it's been good for us to go through it through all of this. 
Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I always ask at the end of every episode, if you had one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Yeah, I was thinking about this. And really, I think the thing for me as I've navigated this road is um, finding a message of hope. So if you're going through this or have gone through this or really some know somebody who's going through this, um, find a message of hope, whatever that may be, whether it's uh, finding purpose or um, I don't know, whatever that may be. For me, uh, my message of hope is Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So it's the idea that we went through this for a bigger purpose, and that helps me find hope to look forward and to find purpose, basically, in losing Luke. I love that. Um, obviously, I don't love that you went through all of this, but I love that you're, <laughs> you're finding your message of hope, and you're finding that that's your way of healing. I think that mm-hmm. that's really cool, and sharing that with other people, and feeling the pull to jump on here and validate you know, everyone else's feelings. I just want to thank you for that. If somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook and it's just Madeline, my first and last name, Madeline Gravy. Um, awesome. pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. And she spells it different than you guys would think. So I'm going to link that in the description of this episode so that you guys can find her over on Instagram. Thank you so much, Madeline, for jumping on and sharing your story this morning. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We all appreciate it. So you'll have to keep us posted. Good luck with everything. Stay yeah, healthy through I know, all this. Right? <laughs> yes. And stay sane or at least try to. Yes. <laughs> we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb cam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.